Attention landowners, the Conservation Reserve Program, CRP, is now open. CRP is a great opportunity for those hard-to-farm acres. It also helps improve a farm's profitability, delivers high-quality wildlife habitat, cleaner water, and healthier soils. The CRP sign-up is going on right now through March 11th. Find a local Pheasants Forever biologist at pheasantsforever.org slash CRP or visit your local USDA service center. Farm the best, CRP the rest. Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. I don't know if you can remember that commercial back from, I think it was the early 2000s, maybe the mid 2000s, sometime around then. And uh, it was about this obnoxious neighbor who would like announce the days of the week over a megaphone or something like that. I think it was a Dodge commercial. It was a Hemi commercial to be specific when they started talking about Hemis again. And, um, I, I am definitely a guy who's interested in cars and and really all things that go. However, um, I don't know a ton about them, but I, knew, I do believe that the original Hemis, when they came out, the oh, I suppose it probably would have been like the mid to late 60s, maybe early 70s. It was in reference, at least my understanding, I believe it was in reference to the carburetors on uh, those Mopar engines. So I'm not really sure how the Hemi deal works when you get to, you know, fuel injected vehicles and uh, how does it still technically a Hemi? Maybe it has nothing to do with (laughs) how fuel is uh, cycled uh, through the engine, but uh, that's how I always thought it was. So I've always been kind of confused on the Hemi thing. But anyways, we're not here to talk cars. We're here to talk you guessed it, sheds. We could pretty much start calling this a shed hunting podcast. In fact, one time back before I started this podcast, back when this podcast was still kind of just a, uh, I don't know, a plan in the back of my brain, I had written somebody who's uh, a big name in the shed hunting world. I was like, dude, you should start a shed hunting podcast. I bet you a lot of people would listen. And uh, he never wrote back. (laughs) And there's still not a shed hunting podcast. So you know what? Maybe I'm just beating that guy to it. Maybe I'm the one who's got the Shed Hunting Podcast. Because, as we all know, I talk about him every stinking episode. I can't help myself, right? In fact, there's actually a Bible verse uh, that says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what it is that you talk about all the time is what you really care about. And uh, we all know, I really care about sheds so i talk about them all the time but i hope you're starting to care about them too i hope you're actually getting out and looking for them i think i've seen some at least sign of one other guy out this weekend in this area and um you know i there's not it's it's kind of interesting where i live now there's a ton of pheasant hunters not a ton of deer hunters i think that really has to do with uh probably deer numbers due to lack of habitat and the proximity where I live um, there you go you know not far from here though 10 15 miles away you're into back into you know 
deer heaven basically but but uh <laughs> you you don't see as many shed hunters around right where i'm at but i think i saw a guy out on some public land this weekend and it was like you know you get that little like inner conflict going on you're like dude that's where i look for sheds and then you're like dude that's where i look for sheds i hope you find one man you know it's it's kind of this weird inner turmoil but i was glad overall i was glad to see somebody else out enjoying it because you know what that's what's getting people connected to the land and if we want to keep these critters around to drop their antlers we got to have a lot of people that care about having them around so you know what i hope mr white conversion van i hope you found a whole bunch of sheds um just in none of the places where i already looked because you know that make me sad that somebody else found the sheds that i walked past but anyways we're gonna talk about that in this episode we're gonna talk about a whole lot more in fact you may have heard my dog clicking around in the background his his uh, nails on this hardwood floor make him a dead giveaway when he comes through. I'm actually hanging on to his collar right now so he doesn't interrupt this episode anymore. Uh, but that's the other half of this conversation. We're going to talk about sheds and dogs and bringing those two things together. And Mr. Jeremy Moore from Dog Bone Hunter was the guy who really started to... Oh, I wouldn't say he like, well, and he'll even say this in the episode. It's not like it wasn't around before he started doing it, but he really was uh, probably the person who brought it into major attention for the outdoor world. He was the one who really started a shed dog program where he was training dogs specifically for the purpose of going into the field and finding antlers. And I'm going to ask him that very question. Do dogs reveal how many sheds we walk past? So you'll have to wait and hear what he has to say. I'm going to ask him all sorts of other questions like, hey, are there some dogs that just aren't good for finding sheds? Or are there some dogs that are better for finding sheds? All the questions that you've probably had before, I'm hoping to address. There is one question, though, that I ran out of time to ask Jeremy. And I'm going to try and track down that answer for you and get it to you at a later date. Because I think it's a, I think it's a really important question. Uh, that we need answered as far as training up a shed dog goes but enough of me blabbering about the episode and let's get to you listening to all the good stuff here so let's kick this one off episode number 83 here on the first gen hunter podcast symbiotic shed hunting with jeremy moore thank you so much for tuning in One of the first things that I ever did as far as hunting goes is I bought a hunting dog. <laughs> that was kind of what got me into that. And, and interestingly enough, oh, maybe a year ago, my father-in-law sent me an article that that was like the whole topic. How many people have been getting into hunting through their hunting dog? They buy a dog, they do a little research, find out, hey, this thing was bred way back when to do this, you know, sporting field trial or, or hunting application or whatever. And, uh, kind of drags them into hunting. And I, of course, always wanted to hunt. Um, but, uh, didn't have that Avenue in growing up. You guys know the story. Uh, but really when I got my Brittany Theo, who's a, uh, uh, Brittany's our, you know, well-known pointing, uh, upland bird dog, 
um, is like, hey, I got this dog. This is what he's good at. His uh, the guy who was who was raising the pups, he said that yeah, both uh, the sire and the dam, they both point, and you know it'd be worth hunting with him if I if I wanted to take him that route. He should you know he should have the genetics to to be good at it, and so uh, that's what I did. But I also, when I was getting into that, had already been shed hunting. Shed hunting was another thing that kind of got, it was kind of a gateway thing for me to get into hunting. And uh, so getting this this uh, dog already shed hunting and not being very good at finding sheds, wanting to find more sheds, I was like, man, I need to get in on some of this shed dog training. And so one of the very first things I ever did was start to train my dog, Theo, on how to find sheds. And I used the guy who is on the line with me tonight. I used his program. It was, uh, I'm trying to think, I just saw the DVD the other night because after we've been moving in, we've been uh, kind of sorting through boxes and everything. And, and uh, I don't remember the name of it. Maybe it was like basics of shed dog training or something like that with, with Jeremy Morris produced by gun dog magazine. But man, did I watch that thing over and over again and start putting a lot of those things into practice. I ordered the, the dog bone, uh, I guess you'd say mock antler and the, the training scent and everything. And Theo and I, we had just, just tons and tons of training sessions in the backyard. You know, I did a lot inside the house too. I started incorporating some of the sheds that I had found into, into his training a little bit. And then Jeremy, you probably hear this all the time. I fell off the wagon. I was, I was, I was taking him out and I was, I was, you know, letting him run with me while I was, you know, looking for sheds. He was good at listening to my, my signals and everything. And, and, uh, you know, good recall and everything, pretty obedient dog. Uh, but just, he would never find any sheds and, you know, he'd always come back loaded up with beggars lice and cockleburrs of all kinds and green briar, you know, all raked into his armpits and, his coat and covered in dirt and everything. It's like, man, is it really worth it giving him a bath after every empty shed hunting venture with him? So I kind of fell off the wagon. All that to say, this is kind of a self-serving episode. I want to pick Jeremy's brain on how I can, (laughs) how I can, if there's any chance I can breathe life back into good old Theo's shed hunting career here. Now that he's oh about six and a half years old and, uh, far removed from those early days of, of regular training that we were doing and uh, see, see what can be done. But first of all, I just need to say thanks, Jeremy, for being willing to come on the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Ken. I appreciate it. Uh, it's, you're, you might not just get me here. I got, uh, I've got my little one, Lillian. She's three years old. And he say hi to Kent there. Uh, I thought I had it all covered, man. I had her in bed. I had a TV, I had a video going. Mom's at volleyball and mom's at soccer practice with our other daughter. So I thought I had us covered here, but uh, looks like we're gonna have a, maybe a little input from Lillian. So hey, nope. I appreciate you. I appreciate you having me on. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I was stoked that you were willing to come on, and no, no worries about uh, the child interruptions. My guess. Sure on occasion get to hear the voices of my kids coming in to tell me good night or or uh yeah. <laughs> you know yelling yeah. something at me you know, you'll end up what's interesting is is you'll 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 understand quickly and and you probably do already but you just i heard a little squeaking behind me here that i've got an english setter puppy that's 
12 weeks old and Lillian came down and sat on my lap and the pup was sleeping nicely and now the pup's going to whine a little bit and it'll get fussy. So, um, I think it's perfect because the reality is, you know, the, when we're training our dogs, they're, they're, they become part of the family, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're my dogs or clients dogs, doesn't matter. They become part of our family. And I think it's, um, overlooked oftentimes and people don't recognize or realize the, that training, like dog training doesn't just happen during sessions. And, mm. and I'm a professional trainer. I suppose you could say that. Um, technically, if you get paid, I guess you're professional. So I, <laughs> I, I, am, I am, I guess, by that standard. But I don't train. I mean, I train dogs, but I don't spend all day training dogs. Sure. And most of us don't. So the, this, you know, the information that, that we talk about today, the stuff that I write about for, you've mentioned gun dog before we do, I do some writing for him. We've done some video stuff for him. The, the folks that I think get the benefit from that probably aren't the people that are training 30, 40 dogs in a kennel, mm. uh, spending 10, 12, 14 hours a day training. I, I, not to say that you couldn't get value out of it, but that's not what I do. And so that's not what I'm able to share the ways to do it. And, um, there's lots of ways to train dogs. And so one of the things that I think I connect well with a lot of folks on is the fact that I've got this little girl who comes down and decides to be a part of the podcast. I've got family running here, there and everywhere. I've got dogs that are, you know, I, I look at training as I look at dogs as they're always in training. So I've got a 12 week old puppy sleeping here next to me. Now she's settled back down. So that's real good. Um, this is training for her. She's on Mm. place. And so she's, she's really getting really good at place. I've got another dog laying over here on a bed. I've got a dog laying over here on a bed and I've got a pup. I've got a dog in the laundry room behind me with two puppies that are five days old. So we we look at it and we go, yeah, we, we do dogs, but we do life. And I don't separate the two. Instead, I look at it and I go, the dogs are part of the life. The life is part of the dogs. And it's easier for me from a training perspective to look at it that way. Like I, I don't separate time necessarily. I do put, I do set aside time and I do go work on specific things at certain times, but that's not always. And what I, what I think we become real efficient at is building training into everyday life stuff. So mm-hmm. as I record a podcast with you tonight, my dog's getting place training. If I wasn't talking with you, I, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd be maybe up in the bed with her watching the movie or I'd be sending emails or I'd be, you know, who knows what I'm doing at, you know, 730 at night. But the dogs are always learning. So we're always training. And I think once we adapt that mindset, it becomes real easy to train a dog. Mm-hmm. And, and it becomes a lot less intimidating because the biggest one of the biggest things I hear from people is I don't have time to do it. Yeah. Don't have time for it. Now, do they take time? Yeah. Do kids take time? Yeah, they do. But it becomes part of your routine and it becomes part of your life. And then when that happens, I look at it like it doesn't take any more time. We build it in. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's a great point. And you know, when you really start looking at how we spend our time, each day and you know maybe it's uh we get little reminders of that right you you get your kid tugging on your arm while you're cruising on on instagram or something like that you're like shoot i need to be i need to be spending this time better or you uh get your screen time report at the end of the week or you um look at uh you know how much time you were you were spending uh doing extra stuff for work and not just uh 
spending time with the family or whatever. And, and, uh, you can see how that, that time adds up, but also where you got maybe some dead time in there where, yeah, every night you could do a little, you know, 20 minute session or something with, with, uh, your dogs or, or whatever, and, and try and build in that consistency. And I definitely want to, I definitely want to talk about what that is defined as to you, that, that word consistency, as far as dog yeah. training goes, um, eventually in this, but, but before we go there, you know, I thought it'd be good just for the audience to kind of get to know you a little bit. And, and these are definitely some questions I've had before for, after watching your content for quite some time now, but, um, got to imagine that uh you have a pretty deep outdoor background is is has the outdoors always been a part of your life i mean ever ever since you were a kid or is that something you kind of came into as an adult no totally i i was um i was raised in northern wisconsin actually so i lived down kind of in northeast wisconsin i guess east central wisconsin i'm near green bay and but I was born in, in northern Wisconsin, a little town called Rhinelander. Um, mm. lived, there, lived there. My my grandparents lived there. Obviously, my mom and dad were there. My dad was born there. I mean, it, it was where my grandpa lived. Mm. So we we have roots in the Northwoods, and you can't help but be outside up there because yeah. it's and and we're talking like we're talking a few years ago. So it wasn't like the video game thing was even a thing at, at that time. I don't want to age. I don't want to date myself here, but I'm not young. I mean, uh, I'm four, I'll be 42 this, this month. So, I mean, I, I'm finally to that point where I, I recognize like age does creep up on a guy and, and things change. And, but I, I look back on my, when I was growing up and that's all I did was, was be outside. And my dad mm. was a hunter. Um, you know, my, my dad worked really hard. My grandpa worked really hard. They were you know, construction guys their whole lives. And, sure. Um, I was a construction guy. It was like, you just, that's what we did in our family. Mm-hmm. But we, we like many, um, construction or not, we were like, we were, we were big outdoors people. So hunting more than anything, you know, my, sure. my family wasn't big, not probably bigger fishermen than they, they were, but, um, yeah, I just, I loved everything outside. I wasn't always a dog guy. Like when I grew up, we didn't have dogs when I was really young. Mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. We did. I was in fourth grade. We got our first dog and as a family. And it was right when 101 Dalmatians came out. So, okay. of course, of course, what did we get? We had to get a Dalmatian. So, we did. My mom and dad got it for me and my sisters. Um, Domino, we named it. I mean, it was a be- really beautiful That's dog. Cool. Um, and, and it turned into the devil. Like we didn't train, it. we didn't do anything with it. We didn't know what to do with it. We just thought it was like a movie. You know, you get these yeah. cute little puppies and become cute little dogs. And the problem with it was, is I was in fourth grade. My sister was in sixth grade and my little sister was in second grade. My mom and dad were busy working all the time, you know, work, work, just, they worked hard all the time. Right. And so here we are with this dream little Dalmatian and I'll never forget it. Um, we probably had it for a year and a half and I loved it. I, I still have the memories of it and the smells of it and all that stuff. When it was a puppy, my parents were building a house. It was like, I remember all this stuff. Like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. I also remember, like yesterday when the Saturday morning, when I got up and saw the car driving down our driveway and the dog house was in the trunk of the car and <laughs> I'm going happen. And my mom and dad said, well, you know, Domino's going to go live in the country. And, you know, he's going to go live out of town. And I thought, 
I was devastated. I mean, yeah. I was really angry at my mom and dad. And it wasn't like it just came out of the blue, but it was, I don't mean to get into the deep history here on this, but it, it's an interesting story because we, they talked to me and my sisters about it. They told us, you know, the dog's got to behave. The dog doesn't listen. Mm-hmm. We couldn't take it for a We tried camping with it once and almost got kicked out of the campground. The dog just <laughs> It was just it was terrible. Like we just we just we couldn't we loved the dog, but we couldn't do anything with it. Had no discipline whatsoever and it just didn't have any obedience. There was no obedience to it. And so we couldn't enjoy it. It was it was heartbreaking to me and my sisters to watch it leave. Now my mom and dad, did they do the right thing? I'm still mad at them about it now, but I've gotten over it. I, I, I've I've gotten over that hard feeling towards my parents because I realized it wasn't their fault. Right. But the the reality was is that still hurts to to think that 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 happens. So one of the things that I people ask me sometimes, what do you why do you do what you do? And I I love dogs. Um, there's no doubt about that. I love working with them, but mm-hmm. I really think it has to do with that was that was terrible for me. Like that was a terrible thing for me to go through. It was a terrible thing for my family to go through. And I I really believe that I was pretty young, but had we had my mom and dad had myself and my sisters had a little bit of an understanding of what we could have done to try to shape that dog a little bit better and understand if you don't, you, you create some pretty big problems. Had we been able to do that, we would have been able to enjoy that dog. And that dog would have enjoyed its time with us a lot more. And so I do think that part of the reason I do what we do, and, and when I say we, I mean like our group. Like we've got, we're a very small company, but we've got a great team, um, unbelievable team of people that I that I work with here. And when we when I say when I say what we do what we do, it's because I really think that it helps the dogs. But I want to help people. I want to help people enjoy their dog more. Mm-hmm. I want people to be able to. I don't want. I don't want some kid to watch the dog house and the dog drive away on Saturday morning. Right. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a very personal tale there that gives you that drive to, to do what you do. And I think that's needed for dog training. You know, uh, what I'm going to, what I'm going to title this episode is symbiotic shed hunting <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, I, well, first of all, I'm a, I'm a biology teacher. So, uh, I get to talk all sure. about those, you know, unique, uh, animal relationships and but what what's interesting about that is when you look at other species in the animal kingdom and the the interactions they have with other critters out there you know for humans yeah it's pretty easy to identify all kinds of uh, creepy crawlers that want to live on us and inside of us um but it's kind of tough to look for what's another animal that we kind of have this you know mutualistic relationship with where both of us are benefiting from the interaction and dogs really fit the bill on that. And, and so it, in some ways it seems natural to be working with a dog, but then on the other side of it is we're two different species and you, you know, you can only have so much expectation for, for another species to, to be able to work with, with, you, you know, sure. and, and, uh, if you don't have that drive to stay committed to it, uh, you can get bogged down in the, the dead ends that you run into or the things that just aren't working or, uh, maybe, uh, your own limitations as a handler, what, what you know how to do and, and, uh, it's easy to fall away from. So I think 
having that drive, having that purpose is very important in your line of work. So that's, uh, that's good to hear. I mean, it's a sad story, but, but it's good to hear that you have that, that tie to it. Very personal tie. Yeah. You know, I think everybody's got, everybody's got their own version of that story. And, mm. and I think that for me, it was, it really shook me up. Now I, I think that there's also, you know, not everybody's made to be a, uh, a trainer. Not everyone's made to be a dog. When I say dog trainer, I mean like a professional dog trainer. No question sure. about it. I don't know that. I don't know that I'm built to be a dog trainer, professional dog trainer. And when I say that, what I mean by that is I'm not built to have a kennel of, of 15 dogs, 30 dogs, 45. I know kennels that have more than that. Sure. There is not. A, there's no interest in me to have that many dogs and go down it systematically like a like a you know punching out widgets. I, I, I don't, that's not what I do. I, I really love working with dogs and I love figuring them out. And I, I like, I just don't look at it. I look at it a little differently. I don't look at it as a volume thing. And so that's where I think that I probably relate more to your listeners that are, they have, they have one dog, they have two dogs, they maybe have three dogs or they're going to get a dog. And you got a dog. I can hear that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, for me, when it comes to dog training, I, I, I look at it differently. The idea of it's not a volume thing for me. It's not a, I don't, my business is not driven by bringing dogs in for training. That's mm. that financial. That's not how we do it. Um, what, what I, what I love to do is train and then share information on training, share some of the situations and the dogs that we're, we're training, some of the stuff we're going through, some of the process the, the things, because they're all so different. And so, I mean, I know guys that are really good trainers. I've, I've known some really good trainers for a long time over the years. And, and one of the things that has kind of got me to this point of less is better for me, less is more when it comes to quality versus quantity. And I think that I can provide better information by doing it that way. And the, and the reason is, is because the more, I, I know some guys that, train pretty high volume number of dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, not as much. I mean, I know guys that way more than, than them too, but th- this one guy in particular, he was training quite a few dogs and he was good. He was real good. And I, I, I talked with him for years and years and years, I had a friendship with him and both professionally and personal. But then I, I mentioned to him once and I was talking to him, he was going on a vacation and we're talking about, I said, well, what, what dogs are you going to bring? And he looked, he, he laughed and he said, I'm not bringing any dogs. And I said, what do you mean? Like this is, it was going fly fishing out West. And I'm just like, that would be the perfect trip. To bring <laughs> at least one dog. I mean, I, I'd right. be bringing some dogs. I wouldn't bring them all, but I'd, I'd, I'd have my dog with me. Right. Yeah. And so he's, he said, no, he said, the last thing I want to do is see a dog on vacation. And I, I was I, okay. And I thought, boy, that, that he, he's burnt out. You know, that's what I was mm-hmm. thinking in my mind. So within a year, he quit dog training Hmm. and I was like, I mean, he was burnt out and I went, I'm not surprised at it based on what I heard over the last, you know, couple of years. And so that was a real powerful moment for me because I was like, you know what? I understand why he quit, but he was really good and he really liked it. I mean, he really enjoyed it, but he got to this point where he was burnt out with it. And I don't ever want to get there because I right. look at our business and our business is based on, we sell 
products and we give information away on how to use them. That's really the, what it boils down to. There's products that we've developed. There's products that I use. There's products that I really believe in. And I, that's what we do. We manufacture that because we can, we can create efficiencies and, and more volume. And like from a business standpoint, we can be successful that way and we can get creative that way. What we, what, what doesn't work is putting that, those tools in people's hands and them not knowing how to use them. Because what happens if they have issues with their dogs or it's not working? Well, it, we're very quick to like have reasons why things don't work. Well, the products don't work. Hmm. No, it's not that the products don't work. It's that the person using the products don't know, doesn't know how to use them. If I give you tools, but you don't know how to use the tools, you're not going to be able to build anything. So we really believe in this idea. It's kind of a business thing for us is I'll share all the information I can. Like I mm-hmm. give information, but I want, but the idea is you see how to use our stuff and then replicate it to have success of your own. And so it's a, probably a little different business model than some people do. And, that, and that's okay. Everyone's got different ways of doing things. But to me, the dogs are what the dogs are the part that I enjoy. The dogs are the reasons I try to think of better ways to do stuff. The dogs are the reason. And, it, and why do I do it? you know, it kind of all goes back to, it's a circle and it links back to the story about Domino. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I had a video, like we have a foundation video, we have a puppy video, we have shed training video. Those are ones that we sold. We put, we sell them. They're, they're three and a half hours long. They're produced. They're pretty sequenced. There's a lot of thought into storyboarding that video and then going out and filming it. You saw our gun dog video. That yeah. was one that we did prior to that. That was a little bit shorter. It's no longer, I, I don't even know if they sell them anymore from gun dog, but we, we built off of that and created these bigger ones with a lot more information. So those are tools, but then we also have like a YouTube channel. We have a training library on our website that are all free. Mm-hmm. And we literally thousands of videos there that I, if you watched all of those, you would never have to buy any of our videos because everything that's in that video is somewhere in all that other information. Sure. The problem is it takes a lot of time. And so not everybody wants to look through it, watch all that stuff. So I get all that. But the reality is, is our, our objective as a business is provide the tools, share and give the information, how to use them. And that will help you find success with your dog. So we want, I love the dogs because it allows me to create this content for people. Like every dog, I got a puppy here that's 12 weeks old. We're creating a full series with her. You're going to see every training. You're going to see all the training with her mm-hmm. for the next couple. Of years. I've got a couple puppies back there that we're going to be training. Ben, uh, one of the guys that I work with, he's taking one of those puppies. So we're going to be training his. We're going to create a series. There's all, all these series that we've done with various dogs over the years. So the dogs motivate me. The dogs give me they give me the opportunity to create this content, but the, the real, like the big value. And the reason I think that I don't train a a bunch of dogs for people, because if I, let's say I had a 30 run kennel, Mm -hmm. I'd be able, I'd be able to impact positively 30 dogs at a time. Like, and there's nothing wrong. That's great. I, I think that's awesome. But what I really look at is we can help so many more by doing things like what we're doing with YouTube. Like I, I feel I train one dog, it's very realistic because I'm, I'm doing it the exact same way that I would do it if I were my own personal dog. Some of them are my own personal dogs. So I walk you through and my, my videos are probably a lot more boring. My videos are probably a lot more, they're less exciting. They're not nearly as 
um, appealing from like a highlight standpoint. There's a lot of stuff that you see of like repetition and consistency and you see he's doing that again over and over, <laughs> over again. But the reality is that's what it takes. Yeah. Like if you, if you just, if you just show those light bulb moments when things click for the dog, that will be great for people to be inspiring, but it will also be frustrating for people because not every session is a light bulb moment. And so we have to like chip away at it, chip away at it, chip away at it, chip away at it. And all of a sudden something happens and it clicks. Well, those, there's not, I think it's important to show all that happened to lead up to that. You know what I mean? Sure. And so our stuff is, so that's, that's one of the things that we probably are really trying to make a point of doing. And I think people appreciate it. I think it's something that, um, I know I'm looking for it. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I, so I got this little setter pup and I, I've not trained a pointing dog before ever in my life. Huh. So I've never owned, a, I've never owned a pointing dog. I've worked with them from an obedience standpoint, but I've never worked on one in the field and I've never owned one to hunt in the field. I've hunted over a few enough to get me interested. Um, so this is my, this setter is going to be my first pointing breed and I am real interested. I'm writing a gun dog column for gun dog magazine, uh, documenting it. We're going to be filming it. We'll be sharing it on our training library we'll be sharing it on we've done podcasts on it already we so we're documenting it the best we can most thorough we can and i think it's going to be interesting because i've had a lot of people i know a lot of guys that have pointing dogs and i know a lot of people in the pointing dog world Mm -hmm. and i've 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 been laughed at plenty of times but i'm used to that i get laughed at in the retriever world all the time (laughs) i don't use a collar i don't force fetch i don't treat train i don't you know i i get laughed at all the time and that's okay it used to bug me, it used to bother me a little bit more when I was younger. But like I said before, man, I'm getting old and I just don't let that stuff bother me anymore. Sure. And I try not to anyway. And so when it comes to the this pointing dog, I'm really excited about it because I have been you can you'll find it in the archives. I have said a dog's a dog. Mm. Like I just believe that. I think a dog is a dog to a great extent, and especially with a lot of the foundational stuff. And so I'm I'm taking an approach with this setter similar to what I would have done with my retrievers, but I can already tell you there's differences. I know that, but mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a breed thing or if it's a personality thing with the dogs because no two of my labs are the same either. So it'll be interesting. I'm finding out. I'm I'm going to become a better trainer. I, I'm sure of that. I'll become a better trainer because of this. And that's sure. part of why I wanted to do it. I'm enjoying it. It's really fun. Um, but I've enjoyed the last the – la- I've been doing this the first – I'm trying to think. My first Labrador I bought in 1999. It was an American, oh, okay. American, American bred field dog. Really nice dog. Uh, fantastic dog. What hooked me on training because she was just so easy. Uh, she She made me – feel good about myself. So I that's what really got me thinking, wow, I kind of move good at this stuff. Right. So that was in college. Um, had a, just loved it. Then in 2003, I bought a British bred dog, British field bred dog. And that was my first, first, um, of that style. And I have not owned one different since I, I've owned a lot of them since I've trained a ton of them. Um, and those dogs, so it's been 19 years of, of working with a very similar style of dog there is a, a a pattern to them, um, and that's partially genetics. It's partially the breeding part of it. I, I I've developed a style of dog that that I've found the style of dog that I like, and it's not British dogs are the best. It's not American dogs are the best. I certain 
British dogs are the best for certain people. Certain American dogs are the best for certain people. Certain British dogs are not good for me. I mean, just because it's a British dog doesn't mean it's a fit for me. So I think that I've gotten so comfortable with what I've been doing for quite a while now that it's time to shake it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I I love doing, we do handlers workshops where people bring dogs from all across the country. We've got a couple coming up this spring. We talked about it kind of before we started recording here. I've got two workshops this spring where we we bring people, people come in, um, they bring all sorts of breeds, they bring all sorts of ages, they come from all sorts of different backgrounds and different locations, and it's one of the most enjoyable weekends of the year for me and my my team. I've got that's a awesome, fantastic team that helps me out, and we learn so much. We do. Like the people come to learn. People come to learn. The dogs benefit. I always tell people we don't train dogs; we train people, and the dogs are the ones that get the extra you know takeaway from it. They they always leave a little better, but the people are what we're here to focus on, mm. and so. Kind of goes back to that story of the Dalmatian, right? So, but when we have those workshops, myself and my my team, my friend, my my friends that are part of this trainers team with me, we gain from it as much or more than those that attended. Hmm. And it's not just on a dog; it is on a dog level because we get a chance to work with lots of different dogs at lots of different levels, and we get to handle stuff that we normally wouldn't be able to handle wouldn't handle on our own because our dogs would never have those problems because we didn't allow those problems to form in the first place. So sure. it's, good for us, it's good for us to see stuff that we don't normally see with our dogs because it keeps us sharp, but we do that. But then the real nice part for us is we get to connect with people and mm-hmm. we get to hear different stories and we get to share stories and we create some incredible friendships from these workshops. They get pretty, they get pretty heavy at times. And I look at that and I go, that's that's what make gets me going that's what pushes that you know so dogs are are a conduit for me dogs are a lot are are things that allow me to connect with some amazing people um and and they have for years and years and years i owe it that i feel in debt to dogs for that reason yeah that's really cool to hear how that whole story webs together there and just your your uh, passion for working with dogs and bring up some great points too on, on, uh, you know, what, what all is entailed in getting to know how to use dogs and how, what our role is as, as their, their handlers. And, yeah. and, uh, that, that's, it's important to keep all that in perspective. So, you know, another, another thing I've wondered about, so not just your outdoor background, but, or even just your background with dogs, but, you chose shed hunting when uh, you kind of, at least from my my vantage point here on on the history of, of your company, shed hunting seems to have kind of been around since pretty well the beginning, right? I mean, dog bone was was kind of that yeah. co- combination of antlers and, and dog training. How come sh- how come sheds was your your avenue, and that was kind of a, a I think there was a lot of intrigue there, you know, it's just because nobody else really was looking at that, you know. Okay, all you fellow first-gen hunters, veteran hunters, and anyone else with a great big fat hunting dream that you have not yet tapped into, I'm talking directly to you right now. And this is a personal testimony. Yep, you're hearing it straight from the horse's mouth. 
and that is because I am a customer of good old Alex Gruen over at East to West Hunts. And I'm going to tell you right now, there is not a better hunt planning service in the business. Here is how thorough Alex is. I'm just going to give you that that first person testimonial that hopefully will help seal the deal for you. After I get done recording this ad, I'm going to use a promo code that Alex sent to me via text message to save me big bucks on a really nice hunting pack that I've had my eye on for months now. And uh, he just kind of came up with this promo code just yesterday, got it in the mail or something. He said, you know what? I'm going to save this for you. I know you got your eye on this pack. He sent it to me. Alex has sent me workout tips. Alex has been there around the clock from all my inquiries on different pieces of gear, from sleeping bags to tents to rifle scopes, and he's got connections all over the place, so he he knows where to send you to get you the right stuff to not only make it so that you can get out on the hunt, but you can be comfortable, get a good night's sleep, and hunt effectively each and every day of your trip truly maximizing the dollars spent to get there and i think that's probably the biggest value in all of this alex has so much experience hunting all over north america that when he sends you somewhere you're not going there blind no he's going to send you to specific places within these units that he either through his vast network with guides and outfitters or from his own personal experience his own waypoints that he's saved on his hunting maps that he'll share with you so that you have the best chance at being successful. So head over to www.alexgruen.com and do your hunt planning with Alex through East to West Hunts. Be sure though, when you go through and you start checking out all the options, I should say he's got multiple options there, depending on what your the right price point is for you. Be sure you enter the first gen hunter podcast listener code first gen 10 at checkout when you enter that in you'll get 10 percent off of any service you purchase through alex again that's www.alexgruen.com use the promo code first gen the number 10 at checkout save yourself 10 percent and get going on that hunt that you've been putting on the back burner for all these years I'm a big deer hunter. So linking back kind of everything comes full circle and being from Northern Wisconsin, we're big deer hunters mm-hmm. and we lived off venison growing up. It was just, everybody's deer hunter up there. Sure. So I was too, uh, over the years as hunters, I think we, we evolve and we change and we, we go through different phases. And so I grew up this a deer hunter cause that's what my family did. And I got a little bit older. I didn't have dogs when I was younger. I didn't have hunting dogs. Um, so I became really passionate about deer and then I went to college and that was all through high school and mm-hmm. it was 90% of my hunting was, was whitetails. Sure. Uh, my dad, my dad did some pheasant hunting with, with his buddies. They would go to the, they started, they used to go to Iowa all the time. <laughs> then I think it, that wasn't that good. They moved nope. to South Dakota. South Dakota got really tough because of leasing and all this stuff but then they ended up in north dakota but i mean that was over a 15 20 year window sure and so when i was in high school my dad i was intrigued by the pheasant hunting stuff but it wasn't my passion it was always deer so then i went to college and when i went to college i became a dog guy that's Mm. when i was 19 
when I was 19. That's when I bought my first Labrador. We had golden retrievers growing up. Um, probably we had the Dalmatian episode and then we didn't have dogs after that for a long time. Sure. Finally, we broke, broke my parents down. I was in, I would have been in like seventh grade and okay. we finally got, got another dog. So we had golden retrievers and I probably had two, three, four of them, uh, between that, probably three of them between that time and when I went to college. Okay. And so I, but we didn't train the goldens that much. They were, they were family dogs. They did a little bit yeah. of pheasant hunting. Then we went, then I went to college. Then I bought this lab. And when I bought this Labrador, I had buddies from Minnesota. So I went to, I went to college on the Western side of the state. We were right, right on the Minnesota border basically. Mm-hmm. And these Minnesota guys were big duck hunters. All sure. So I got really into duck hunting in that when for that 10 year window of my life. And that's where the, the dogs, where I was like, man, this is why I duck hunt is because of the yeah. dogs. I didn't, like duck, I didn't like shooting ducks as much as I liked working dogs. But sure. There was purpose to have the dog. There was no reason for me to like work my retrievers for deer. Like I, there was nothing I was going to do with them. Mm-hmm. So when I got into the duck stuff, I really got into the dogs and took away from my focus on deer. And because you, you know, if you're going to do something in, in hunting, it takes a commitment. It takes time. Yeah. If you're yep. if you're gonna do it well, so if you're gonna if you're gonna be a duck hunter, it's hard to be a duck hunter, a deer hunter, a western hunter. Like it's hard to do all that because there's not enough time. Right. So I kind of set deer hunting stuff aside during those college years, and even after, shortly after college, and I spent a lot of time duck hunting, waterfall, hmm. and and you know ducks and geese. And I got so into it and I enjoyed it so much with the dogs. Well, then I got out of college and I started working and I started realizing I was, I'm not over by those Minnesota guys anymore. Wisconsin's hunting wasn't nowhere near as good as it was where we were over there. And I realized, man, I got, I was actually in the, on the Western side of the state, the County Buffalo County. I don't know if you've ever okay, heard yep, of yep. County, big deer, right? Yep. I went to college, I went to college 15 miles from the Buffalo County line. Like I was right in the backyard of giant deer. <laughs> I used to see big deer all the time in college yeah. when it were driving around looking for birds. And so I kind of missed, I kind of missed that window. And I was like, man, I want to, I, I want to get back into really committing myself to archery. Like I, I was always, I loved archery. I loved sure. bull hunting. So I was like, I really want to put, and that took time. So I decided I'm getting back into that. Well, then I got back into the deer hunting so heavy and I have buddies that, that I was hunting with over on the western side there in the Buffalo County area. My one buddy's a really good outfitter over there. And I, I was helping him out with some guiding. And I'm doing all this deer stuff. And I'm going, what am I going to do with this great lab of mine? Like, she was fantastic. <laughs> she's, looking, she's looking at me going, wait a minute. We're not <laughs> we're not doing this anymore. And so I felt a little bit bad. I felt, yeah. I felt like a gun dog that I'm not using as a gun dog because I didn't have time. And sure. so I had heard about guys using, using dogs to – to uh, look for sheds and, and hunt sheds with. And um, I read an article about it. Back then it was a Google search. I, there was one article in Outdoor Life. I read it a bunch of times. And I thought, you know what? I've had a lot of success with my dog. I've had a lot of success with other guys' dogs, like buddies that I helped train. And I thought, I'm going to try it. So I fooled around with an antler. And Again, this is that dog that made me a dog trainer. She was really good, and she made me look good, and she was easy. <laughs> so when I when I started working with her with an antler, she picked up on it pretty well, and she really wanted to please. She had really good. She had a lot of bit ability. She wanted to make me happy, and so she 
picked up on it really well. And I shed hunted with her quite a bit that following spring. And I found I had not found a shed before this. Like I, I walked a lot. I looked for a lot of, I looked for a lot of miles and hadn't found sheds Sure. prior to her. And then I went and we found a couple. I mean, we find a ton, but we found a few that year. And I, well, it was, I, I think we found four or five. That's okay. four or five times what I have found before that. And so I was, I mean, I was all in on the idea of using the dog to, to shed hunt. And that, when I look at it now, I go, is it because, did she help me find those? Yes. Did she find them all while I was sitting in the truck? No, not at all. Like it was, <laughs> I, walked, I walked way more miles when I had her because I had another reason to go. Right. I ended up in better spots. I ended up in, I ended up finding better spots. Like you don't find sheds everywhere in the woods. Right. When you, when you're good, there's a reason why good shed hunters find lots of sheds. It's because they know what they're doing. There's right. a reason why good duck hunters kill a lot of birds because they know what they're doing. The reason good deer hunters kill big deer, it's because they know what they're doing. It's not a, it's not an accident. Right. And so when I fig- started figuring out where to look for them, when to look for them, like all these little details that I talk with people now that are just starting to get into shed hunting and I start explaining some very basic things and they go, oh, I never thought of that. You know, like don't look where the deer are not right now. Yeah. Like it doesn't I don't care. I have so many people that show me big pictures of deer and go, man, I don't, I, I got to get a shed dog because I can't find antlers on my farm. And I said, okay, well, is it because you don't have a shed dog or is it because there are no antlers there? Well, there have to be antlers there. I have a ton of deer there. They're a lot of big bucks and they break out their phone and they start showing it to me. Mm-hmm. And I look at these pictures and I go, oh, man, you got giant deer. You, you're right. You got some really big deer. The problem is these pictures are in October and November. Yep. And, and I go, where's where's the food and they go well, what do you mean so well, where's your food late season food well, we plant some green plots and we got some brassica stuff and we got some really nice kill plots and micro plot but they have nothing when it comes to late season food and i go well, there find the late season food you'll find those antlers yep because because and but i didn't realize that back then i just figured the deer in the woods the antlers should be there too yep and so but so i started going more with the dog I found some that fueled my kind of fueled my energy on that. So then I bought a puppy and I, I thought, well, this dog, she was eight. My dog was eight years old when she started shed hunting my first one. Mm-hmm. And she, so that would have been like 2007. And so she is no longer with me, but I bought a puppy because I went, I am going to train the next one to shed hunt. Mm. Like, this is what I do. So I went and I bought this puppy. That was my first British dog. That was in 2003. So it was the first Actually, she was my second British dog. The first one I got in 2003, I got her probably in 2005. So okay. the, second, the second one, took, and I bought her, and I was going to use her to shed hunt. And I took her, and she was doing really well, but she was about six months old and doing well and ex- excitable and loved to retrieve and do all that stuff and just puppy, a lot of puppy in her. Yeah. And I remember I was, I was walking on a piece of property, and we found an antler. And so I thought, and she was just walking with us. And so I took it and I pitched it and the road was real icy. It was, you know, middle of the winter and the road was slick and icy. And I threw the antler on the road and she ran up to it. And I thought, this is perfect. I'm going to introduce this little puppy. She's going to figure out what an antler is. So I threw the antler, little four point side. She ran after it with a lot of enthusiasm, just the way she had been, you know, for months. And she hit it and she slid and she's like slid on the ice. And she mm-hmm. yipped and she turned around and she came running back to me. 
And it was like, it, 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 I knew right away what happened. She poked herself on the antler and she acted like it bit her. I mean, yeah. she had, she was a pretty soft dog. Um, she had a really sweet, soft personality. She's actually the grandma. She would be the great grandma of these puppies that are in the other room. Oh, okay. This is the fourth generation out of that line of dogs. So that I, I, that's a total another conversation about genetics. But I really liked those that line of genetics. So she was soft, and she was she had not, she didn't want to have anything to do with an antler. And so yeah. that's when I was like, I bought a dog to shed hunt with, with the intentions of shed hunting with her, and she's afraid of antlers. <laughs> and so it was it was a little discouraging to say the least, but. It's what got my mind thinking about why and how. I, I think a lot of times when we run into problems with training, we're quick to try to figure out a fix. We want a remedy to the symptom. So we want to figure out how to fix, uh, you know, why I got to fix how to be, how my dog's afraid of antlers. How can I fix that? My dog's gun shy. How can I fix that? My dog won't do this. How do I fix that? We, we, we get into this mindset of it's broken. How do I fix it? I think one of the things you got to do is ask, why is it broken? Yeah. Why are you having the problem that you're having? Because that's what you got to address. Like there are, there are times where, you know, you need to have like an on the spot fix, like a correction or a praise or whatever. I, I think that that is timing and it's very important. But I also think that it's overlooked that we have to understand what the reason is that the dog is doing what it's doing. And so I thought, started thinking about it and I thought, well, how come she, is afraid of antlers. How come if I pick an antler up, she wants to go in the other room? And it's because she was introduced to it in a really negative way. Yeah. And I, so then I started thinking about my bird dogs. Well, I never take a, if I want, if I got a dog, I'm going to be a pheasant. I'm going to hunt pheasants with it. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to take that pheasant dog as a young dog and put it in a pen with a rooster and hope we get a pheasant dog. <laughs> yeah, so that's a good point. Way too many things that are going to be uncontrolled, way too many things that are going to be potentially negative. Could it, ha- could it work? Sure, but I'm not rolling the dice on the investment. Like I'm a, I'm gonna stack the odds in my favor. So with my little pheasant dog, I'm starting out with a balled up sock in the hallway. I'm going to a canvas, you know, a fire hose puppy dummy. I'm going to tape some wings to it. I'm gonna add some scent to it. I'm gonna take steps to get to a bird. And so why, why not take the steps to get to the antler and make sure that every time I get there, it's successful. So that's when this idea came into my head, and I was like. God, I, there's nothing out there. Yeah. There's lots of stuff out there to do that with bird dogs. There was nothing. Right. But to be honest, back then, you talk about shed hunting with people. With a dog, it was really unheard of. I mean, and we're not the first people to do that. Other people did it. There was articles sure. out life written way. But there was not that many people doing it. There was not that many people talking about it. Hell, when I talk about shed hunting, people didn't know what I was talking about. They thought shed <laughs> building so right yeah yeah <laughs> i used to knock on doors anywhere and everywhere I, w- I used to knock on i'd see a good i'd see a standing cornfield with a cow path going into it in the middle of the winter i'd yeah. knock on the door and find out i'd find out who owned it i'd knock on their door and i'd say hey do you mind if i walk your field was when the snow starts melting i'm gonna look for antlers and they thought i was nuts <laughs> they, you're what you're gonna go walk around and look for antlers i said yeah you know you got the standing corn well, sure, because they'll keep it out of my tires. You know, like yeah. they, they were all in favor of it. They had, they thought I was crazy, and they said, "Go for it." It wasn't, but five, maybe five years later, you knock on a door and you maybe get permission on one out of three or four. Today, it's even harder. It became pretty popular, 
And so the idea of shed hunting has grown in popularity. The idea of using your dog has grown in popularity. They compete. They have competitions now. They have all these things. Mm -hmm. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. I think it grows the interest in it. And I think it's back to this idea of, again, it's something positive that you are going to get enjoyment out of and your dog is going to get enjoyment out of. And to me, I'm 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 a big fan of that. So I look at, I look at this that way and I go, that was when, I mean, obviously when I first started, the idea was not to create a business or a company. My idea was how do I not get a dog afraid of an antler next time? And so that was this, okay. So I started looking at, you know, how I trained my bird dogs I replicated it with the idea of an antler. I got creative with the idea of how can I make something that smells like this antler, make it so that it's easy for me to have. I used this stuff for for years, my a couple of years myself, I wrote some patents on it. I mean, I I worked construction the whole time, and I was working construction. Huh. And then it took uh, took a pretty big leap of faith. Um, you you if anyone's ever worked kind of a side hustle before, it, you go so far, and then you realize there aren't enough hours in the day to do both, and there isn't enough finance to do both. And so yeah. I I worked construction to pay for developing this idea. And finally, I got to the point where I said, "I gotta try it," and and or I'll or I'll I'll never be satisfied. So I I quit my job, um, which was uh, I can't tell you how many people looked at me and went, "You're what? You're gonna do what?" I I sold my truck. I mean, I had a nice truck at the time. I, I was doing pretty well. Construction was treated me very well. My family really well, and I had to sell my truck. I had to. I poured some concrete on the side. I mean, I did a lot of little side job stuff for a while, sure. um, just to make just to make bills happen. But then, um, I mean, I went. I, I started driving a '99 Ford Ranger two wheel drive, and when I pulled up to my parents' house and they saw that, and they said, "What is that?" I mean, this is like high school ghetto beater. And they're like, <laughs> "I said it's all I can afford." I said, and they looked at me and they said, "You're really going to do it, aren't you?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, I am." And so that was like. A moment for me and then it right. was now you get going and and we've been really we've been really lucky uh we've developed some tremendous relationships with people over the years um and and we've just grown the business so the the shed stuff is what started us we went into some uh from there we went into tracking i was training dogs for people yeah. to, to hunt to be shed dogs and those people said hey can you track with the same dog i started investigating that i started talking with canine trainers for police police handling units i learned a whole bunch about tracking i worked with a group called the united blood trackers they have a wealth wealth of knowledge that they're willing to share with people that are interested in getting involved i joined that i became networking with those people i i just committed to this idea of okay we're going to build this this deer dog idea and that's where that's really what got us going and then and we did that for years and years and years and then um more recently, I've realized, you know, my passion is dogs and people. And so the obedience part, the foundation part, that all has to be there in order to have the shed dog. That has to be there in order to have a tracking dog. Yeah. has to be there if I want to have a gun dog. has to be there if I want an upland dog. So, and I, you know, as we get older, my deer hunting is, I'm nowhere near as passionate about the deer hunting as I used to be. I hunt for sure. a, a group, North American Whitetail. I do a bunch of stuff with those guys. Mm-hmm. Love Love their group. They're owned by the same company the Gun Dog is. I do ton, tons of stuff with them because it's just a real natural fit and a good synergy. But I don't, my deer, I get more enjoyment. I'm looking around right now. I'm looking at some really big deer on the wall that my kids shot. I'm looking at some mm. really big deer that my 
life shot. I got, I get as much excitement of being able to mentor a young guy like my son, who's not even young anymore. He's 20, but, or, or my nephew, when he shot his first year, uh, two years ago with me. And then he shot one this year by himself. And like, I get, I love that part of the deer hunting as much as I do. And don't get me wrong. I love to shoot a deer once in a while, but, and I, I got lucky this year. We killed a really nice deer with a muzzleloader. That oh, was nice. awesome. It was, it was awesome for me. It's something that will be with North American whitetail TV, but I was so excited about that because it was fun for me. Yeah. And I, I, I went through phases of hunting where I was ornery about it because the neighbor shot the buck I was after and all that it's phases that we go through. And I think it's the idea is, is somewhat like if as a trainer, we go through phases too. And I had to be careful. I, I can't get so into training dogs from a volume standpoint that I lose my love for it, my passion. Right. For it. Yeah. So it's, it's life, man. It's just, it's the way it is. And, um, but the, that's the story behind anyway, it's, it. I made a short story pretty long there, but that's kind oh, of that's the background. cool to hear. Yeah. It's, it's cool to hear all that. And, and it's something I've always wondered about, you know, because like you said, there's, there's tons of other stuff out there for decades on how to train every other kind of, I guess you'd say working dog. Um, sure. but, but, uh, yeah, sheds were, they were kind of a new thing. And, and uh, what's interesting too, what you say there about the change in shed hunting, and uh, I'm supp- I, I suppose that people like like myself are are kind of responsible in, to some regard, and and people like you too, who have uh, kind of put that out in the spotlight a little bit more. And uh, certainly, there's there's been plenty of other people uh, before us doing that too, and. Um, you know, people see that it's fun, but I agree. I think it's good that people are doing it, even though it might mean that my shed counts a little bit less at the end of the day, or I might not have the access I want because I think it connects people to the land, makes them value the land uh, again, you know, and and want to want to pay attention to what what there is to enjoy on the landscape. So, yeah, I I uh, I definitely agree with you there too. Uh, just seeing how that there's been that uptick even in the I guess I started shed hunting before I started hunting so I think I'm going into maybe my my ninth eighth or ninth shed season now so but yeah it's definitely gotten a lot more popular over the years and and uh I think it's cool too that that uh dogs have been very much so incorporated into that so uh yeah I think I think that's an awesome story well I want to before we you know, we'll, we'll kind of finish this show up on just talking some, some good training, some practical stuff for handlers. But, uh, before I do a best shed hunter, I know he's a guy, he doesn't have a dog, doesn't use a four wheeler, just, just puts, puts some, puts in the miles. And, uh, he, he found, uh, a couple years ago, I think it was spring of 2020, maybe, he found, I think it was 105 antlers just walking. And, sure. and, uh, the, the thing that he said to me was, I often wonder what have I walked past? <laughs> and I got to think that having a good, a, a good, well-trained shed dog could kind of answer his question because you see a, an animal that's not just operating off of sight, you know, their scent yeah. is part of it as well. So, mm-hmm. As as a shed dog handler and a good shed dog handler, so so 
dogs that are very well trained going into the field. How often do you think the average, we'll say, we'll call them dogless shed hunter walks past antlers? Do you think it's like all the time or do you think people are thorough enough to where, yeah, you know, the dog sees it. I saw it too. But, but, uh, what, I mean, what do you think on that? Do you think most people think are walking by antlers a lot? I think it, you can't answer that question, unfortunately. I think it's 100% dependent on the person. Um, you know, because I, sure. I, I know guys, I know guys that are really good shed hunters. Uh, there's a buddy of mine named Mark Fox. Is he? He's a shed hunter. That's the guy that I would go and shed hunt with over in Buffalo County. Sure. And he finds more than anyone like I, that I know. I mean, he's he is unbelievable. Now I, I trained a dog for them. They're outfitters there. They own Bluff Bucks Outfitters. They have a dog that I trained for them, and Mark would find over a hundred sheds every year. I mean, it wasn't, mm-hmm. that wasn't, that was like, that was, he's doing okay. If he's finding, you know, if he's got a hundred and so, <laughs> but he, he is probably a really good example. Like when I trained scout for him, he's got a dog named scout and she tracks for them too. And she shed hunts scout scout will pick up out of that hundred scout. will pro- I don't know what percentage, but She'll pick up some that Mark wasn't going to get for whatever reason, but I don't, but Mark is really good. Like Mark yeah. found a whole bunch of them before he had scout and he's, he would find a whole bunch of them if he didn't have scout. But I guarantee you that where Mark shed hunts, you get a little, I got a little noise in the back. Okay. So here's the, <laughs> the idea of regular life. Lillian, Lillian, no, leave that there. Okay. So when Mark goes shed hunting, he could shed hunt a farm and find 20 antlers on it. Sure. And I might walk it. I might find 15, you know, like I, I'm not a bad shed hunter. I, sure. I've gotten, I've gotten pretty good. Like I, I, it's a, it's a, you have to have a trained eye for it. Like right. you have to literally right. practice at it. I walk by a bunch of them early on. I can tell you that right now, the first couple weeks, the first times I go, the first couple times I go shed hunting, I'm going to walk by way more than I would the last week of shed hunting Hmm. because I start to get a cadence and a pace in the woods. Like I start to develop my speed. I develop what to look for. I I start to really hone in on the sign. Like I look at things differently. I start to analyze where I'm going. I don't just shed hunt. I I get the exercise part of it. I love that part of it. But when I was in my prime, when it was shed hunting season, I used to find a lot more than I do today because Now I go and I walk in the woods and I'm easily distracted because I'm looking for sign from last fall and I'm going, Ooh, I, we should hang a stand here. Oh, the wind, <laughs> right, the right. wind good here. The wind, you know, I'm looking get, later in the spring. You're, I know people that are easily distracted by the idea of looking for mushrooms and you know, like there's, so if you're focused and dialed in, which this guy, Mark is as dialed in of a whitetail guy as I've ever met, he kills bigger deer than anyone I know with consistency. he, he doesn't go out there and mess around. He's like, if he were a basketball player, he's not the guy that's just fooling around at the YMCA. Like he is this guy that's going into a gym and like working and like, he's the guy you want on your team. Like he's just, so I think that the question of, well, how many sheds does a guy walk by? Well, it depends on who the guy is or girl, you know, it just depends. So I think that, do you find more with a dog? Yes. No question about it. You'll find more if you've got a shed dog. Sure. Is it because the dog is going to find them all? No. Because you should be a shed hunter too. 
Like it's it, yeah. the same the probably the easier analogy for people to understand is tracking dogs. So mm-hmm. tracking dogs will find deer. No question about it. Guys and girls will find deer without a dog. Mm-hmm. They're they're trackers. They have to look for certain sign. They have to find clues. They have to understand what a deer will do at certain points. They they have to they have to have a knowledge. You have to be a woodsman, and you'll find you'll recover animals. The dogs will find the animals as well. But what really is where you get dangerous and good is when you and the dog are together as a team. Mm. Then you're then you're as bulletproof as you're going to get. Yeah. So I look at the same way with shed dogs. I want to go and I want to put the dog in the, the best shed dog in the world will not find a shed. If you don't put them in an area where there is a shed, yeah, you're, you're, part, you're, a real, you're a real important part of this squad. So if you don't know what you're doing and that takes time and that takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of experience. And so the reason the shed dog is nice, the reason the shed dog was nice for me when I, that first season, her name was Remy. And when I had Remy, the, re- the, the reason I was just – the hook got set on me was because we found four or five sheds that year. Yeah. And re- the reason was probably – it's okay. The reason – now there's a good trainer. She said, Makina's not in the place. She was sneaking off on me. <laughs> the reason that I found those antlers was partially because I had Remy. And I wanted to find a shed. I wanted to train a shed dog, and so I walked more. I walked more places. I went to spots that I probably wouldn't have gone otherwise, but I did. And I happened to find one. And when I found my first one, that was like eye-opening to me because I never would have thought that there would be an antler there. It was yeah. in an area that I. It was in an area that I did not expect to find an antler. Sure. And I found it, and I thought, well. Is that what? Wait a minute. I would have never walked through here. And I found one. And I found it. In, it was in thermal cover. It was in a cedar swamp. It was in an area that was just pounded down with sign, like trails, tracks, yeah. you know, the, the beds, droppings. I mean, it was like my, do- my dog had a full stomach. It was eating so much poop. I mean, there was just poop. Everywhere. <laughs> understand that because that's caviar to them so so i'm sitting there and i'm like man i can't believe i found this antler i'm just super jacked up about it but then my mind went to immediately where's another spot that's like this right where's another where's another spot that i can find this kind of sign so then all of a sudden i became a better shed hunter because i went i'm actually learning where these things could be so then i started realizing like it's specifically because of a lot of elements there was thermal cover in this area. It was adjacent to a corridor that it was really inaccessible. Like there's a reason why it was all pounded down because no one went in there. Right, and yeah. Why would I have not gone in there? Because it was kind of a pain to get into it. So yeah. it was quiet. The deer weren't bumped. There was a 40-acre cornfield less than, you know, it was probably as the crow flies, it was probably a couple hundred yards. But like sure. you – for me to get there, I'd have to go down this road, and then I had to turn. I never even thought about it. I didn't have topo maps back then. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't have apps. I didn't have. I didn't see all that stuff. So I look at that and I go, "If you're in tune with what's going on and you pay attention to the success you find, yes, you'll find more. But if with a dog, but if you take a dog for a walk and you walk the exact same trails that you've walked every year for the last ten years and not find an antler, you're probably not finding an antler." 
And it's yeah. not because you don't have a shed dog. It's because there aren't any antlers there. Right. You find them if they're not there. So will you know this guy knows what he's doing. So he's finding 105 antlers. He knows where to go to find antlers. Will he find mm. more? Probably. And so does Mark find more with Scout? Yeah. He might find 110 instead of 105. But he's sure. going to find 105 no matter what. But I look at that and I go, he's a rare guy to find 100 antlers a year. Mm-hmm. I, I look at this and I go, for some people, because this is where people think that you get a shed dog, you're going to find hundreds of antlers. Not if they're not there. So, but yeah. what I look at it is, if you are you, if you're used to finding two or three antlers a year, like some people, that's it. There, some people would die to find one. You know, right. They, that's yeah. what all they want to do is find one antler. So I was like that. I, I I know what that feels like. So for that person to find one, and then their dog find one, they just doubled. One yeah. the dog found the dog found one antler, and they just one hundred percent doubled their number of sheds that they found. And so yeah. I look at that and I go, as a percentage, it's huge. As a number, it maybe isn't that big. But what are we in this for? Like there's no you don't get you don't get prizes for the <laughs> right. guy that found the most antlers. The antlers are the prize. And exactly. if you get two instead of one, that's a good return on your time and, and effort. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, really good point. And it's it's nice to have that that uh I guess that question addressed, you know, sure. like you said, you can't fully answer that, but I think that's pretty close to, to reality there, you know, and yeah. absolutely. I 100% agree when people aren't finding antlers, it's because that there, there aren't deer there, you know, that they're looking sure. in places where, where deer just are not hanging out anymore. And sometimes, you know, you think about, okay, where are deer even at during this time of year right now, right. late January, early February, but some of those deer are going to carry antlers around until March and April. So where are they going to, where are they going to be coming back into once, Absolutely. you know, there's some, all the snow's pretty much gone, at least at, at that, my latitude here, you know, and you know, that's, that's the thing. for some hunter, for some guys, we think about deer year round. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, them. there's a lot of them. There's more now that do than ever, I think, but there's also a lot of hunters that, Think about deer eh, from about middle of October till like November 15th-ish. And then it's like, oh, on to the next thing, the rice fishing. Yep. They're doing that, doing that. I'm not saying that you can't find antlers if you're if that's your idea of, of focus on deer. But you're probably, your chances are less because yeah. you, you got to – like it's there's a reason why certain people find success with certain stuff. And it's because they're hypersensitive to the, the fine details. Yeah. And so yeah, I just think that it's overlooked, you know, I'll, this little pointing dog of mine that I just got, I'll become, I've gotten, I've gotten a lot better over the last few years hunting grouse up by our cabin. Grouse is a pretty tough bird to find. I know a lot of guys that do it and don't, don't, they're, they're just a tough bird to hunt. They're a tough bird sure. to shoot. They're, they're, they're hard to find all that. I've gotten a lot better over the last few years and it's because I have pretty good, I got pretty good flushing dogs and we've had a lot of success with it. And so, but this dog, I know what these setters do. And so they're bird finders. So I have these retrievers that work a 15 to 20 yard pattern with me and they follow my lead and I take them into areas and I have gotten better at getting flushes because I read the cover better. 
I read on a maps better. I read it on foot better and I get dogs into areas and we find success and find a few birds. And then I'll go into some areas and go, there aren't any birds in here. I'm not walking that kind of cover. So one of the things that I think I'm going to find out real quickly is the difference between that flushing dog at 15 to 20 yards in gun range to the dog that works 75 to 100 to maybe 125. I don't really want them any bigger than that, but some guys want them way bigger than that, and that's fine. You get you get that dog with the bigger range, even at 100 yards, I'm going to become a better grouse finder because I'm going to have a better grouse finder to follow. Hmm. She's going to tell me where birds are. And so that, that to me, it, it takes out the, the element of me leading her into the wrong spots to not find birds. And instead, it's me following her to the right spots because there's birds. I'll become a better grouse hunter because of it. Yeah. And so I think the same can be said about shed hunting. Yeah, that's a great point. I love that point. Dogs kind of do some of that heavy lifting when it comes to figuring it out for us by right. by having that yeah. extra really powerful sense that pulls them into good shedding country good shedding territory yeah that's a that's an excellent point well hey let's uh as we we kind of wrap this one up here just want to hit you with a couple of rapid fire training specific things here um first of all you know kind of just starting out with with how dog training goes specifically with this shed hunting application you know people might be listening to this and be like oh man i'm gonna have to go out and i'm gonna have to buy a new pup because uh you know i've never you know i never thought about training them for finding sheds and you know that's it's so hard to you know the old adage teaching old dog new tricks uh but i mean of course you got the story that you shared too about your your first off uh, yep, yeah yep your waterfowl dog that you uh yep. retrained on sheds but but uh, is it is it true that some dogs can just maybe be too far aged out of it to to be taught how to? So let's go back to my example of Theo, my my Brittany. You know, if if I want to take my six and a half year old dog and try and get him going on sheds now, or you know, repick up that training where we left off years ago, would would that be a worthwhile effort, or is is he probably going to be like, eh? That's not going to be something he's going to take to now. My, the easy answer is I, I don't think dogs are too old to learn anything. I sure. think you got to understand. You got, I think you got to understand that there's, there's years of habits there. Mm-hmm. So you might have to change, you might have to change some of the undesirable habits and you might have to shape and form the desirable ones. What I think, what I think the answer, my answer to that to you would be, cause I, some people ask me, is it worthwhile? for me to do that. Should I spend the time? Is it worthwhile? And I look at it, I go, what do you have to lose? Mm. The dog, the dog's not going anywhere. Yeah. How old is Theo? Six and a half. You're going to have him. You're going to have him in the field for another six years minimum. Right. I mean, yep. it, more than likely. Right. So you could, you could say, Oh, he's already six. And then just for the next six years go, oh, I guess, I guess, I guess we don't do it with them. I guess we don't. Or you could say, you know, he's six years old. I'll have realistic expectations with it. And over the next year or two, let's just work towards it. And if he finds an antler, awesome. If he doesn't, what did, what did you, what yeah, did you lose? That's you true. Know? So, so I, I feel like a lot of times, you know, to me, what, what's, 
what is the real end goal? Would you, if you have fun with him for the next couple of years trying and don't find an antler, you had fun with him for the next couple of years. If mm-hmm. you have fun with him and you find an antler, all the better. Yeah. But if, if you, if you, if you beat yourself up over it and you make it so that it's not fun, then I would say, no, don't do it because mm. it's not fun for the dog. So don't, don't put yourself through. Yeah. But I look at it, it's all about perspective. You, I, I'd love to find more stuff to do with my dogs. So the more I can do, the better, the better, the more I enjoy them, the better the, the experiences. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. I think I do just need to get old Theo going again on the, on the training. And, you know, every time I, I move a shed or something in the house, his, he, he perks up and he's looking at it and, if I give him a chance to sniff it out or something, oh man, he's all over it. So it's like he remembers, hey, this is this yeah. is significant. Yeah. So yeah, so I think you got to get back to it. But yeah, so that brings me to my next question. Then now Theo is a Brittany. He's so he's a classic upland bird dog. Do bird dogs make good shed dogs, or even are there are there any sporting breeds that people might have that? from your experience just do not take to finding sheds or is uh that pretty much a, a skill that any dog can pick up i think i think the question of breeds is all about preference they all have good noses hmm. i think you got to think about what what you what do you need to have a shed dog the skills to me are they got to be able to hunt use their nose natural game finding ability so that's that's really important I like dogs that retrieve naturally because it's one less thing for me to train. Can you train dogs that don't retrieve to retrieve? Yeah, you can. It's just more work. So I prefer the dogs things naturally. So game finding and noses, ability to retrieve. Because what does a shed dog do? They got to find it and then they got to bring it back to you. That's what my dogs, that's what I want my dogs to do. So I look at the breed idea of it and I go, do Britneys have good, good noses? For sure. Right. Do they retrieve naturally? Some do probably, some don't as much. My setter here retrieves pretty well. She didn't start out retrieving very well. She's only 12 weeks old, but I did a few things with her and all of a sudden it kind of like, it made her look like a lab all of a sudden. And then next (laughs) thing I know, then I, the next thing I know she's retrieving. And so some setters are more natural retrievers than others. I imagine that's the same with the Brittany. But sure. the idea, Mike, so if the dog retrieves, you're in pretty good shape. If the dog's got a good nose, you're in pretty good shape. What if the dog want like bitability is a willingness to please? If they have that, which most canines do, that's why we domesticated them. Mm-hmm. The if they have willingness to please, you're in pretty good shape. So when you start taking all those things and you look at it and go. Can my dog do it? Yeah, I think you probably got it stacked up pretty good in your favor. What? How you're going to get it out of them? That's the question. The, hmm. You know, tracking dogs track naturally. Retrievers retrieve naturally. Pointers point naturally. We don't train them to do that. So will will she point the shed antler? I doubt it. I don't think that's built into them to do that. But do will the pointer retrieve the dead bird? Most, a lot of them will, and a lot of them are trained to do that, and we want them to do that. So if we can get the dog to understand what the reward is for retrieving and enjoy that, can you condition them to understand that an antler is good and gets you a retrieve and makes dad real happy? I mean, does your dog like to make you happy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So so you've got got a lot of those those parts and pieces, I think. Yeah, that's, that's that's a great point. 
good way to look at it. Man, I'm getting excited now. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to get going yeah. on this pretty quick. A motivational speaker. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, that's good to know. I've always wondered that. Some some breeds are better at it than others, but yeah, I think old Theo. He he. Uh, He's got definitely got a good nose on him and has the drive, so I got to get him back out in the when field. I college, when I was in college, I belonged to this pheasant club, this, this put and take pheasant farm thing that sure. we bought birds. We trained our, we trained our dogs on it, and we were broke college kids, and we could never afford to buy birds, but we would be members, and then we'd go hunt scratch birds. So the, okay, yeah, the rich guy. Guys would go there on the weekend. They'd put out their birds, and they didn't really care if they shot them or not. And then, and they weren't that good, and their dogs weren't that good. And then on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, we'd go and hunt, and we'd clean up on birds that were scratch birds. And so that was how we developed good good bird dogs back in the day. The best scratch hunting dog on that farm was a member that had a German Shepherd. He huh. brought that Shepherd in. Absolutely. There wasn't a dog that was going to out hunt that dog and catch pigs. So a lot of people look at that breeding part a little bit too much, I think. Sure. Because that if you look at them, you'd go, that's not a bird dog. Right. It was a, it was the best one. It was the best one there. So but the dog was real biddable and wanted to please, and the guy was a trainer. And so you combine these things together and you can get them to do just about anything. Wow. That's a cool story. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a that's that's very true. It just kind of boils down to those same basic skills and personality yeah. traits too, for sure. Okay. So, so then it, as we're getting into a training routine here, um, you talk about really, I think if I, if I remember correctly back early in the show, you're talking about obedience and some of the basic training. I remember the, the sock training doing that with Theo when he was a pup. Mm-hmm. You know, throwing the sock down the hallway. And then if I remember yep. right, there was a tennis ball phase as well, where we start putting a little bit of scent on on the tennis ball. I, like really, I use that as a scent, as a hunt command. I use, I like to use tennis balls for that. Yep. Yep. I remember, I remember doing that. So is it, once you get past that, are you then starting to work some of the site recognition by, by going with the antler outline, if I remember correctly, in the training video, you did some stuff with like, might have been cardboard cutouts that looked like. No, I, I don't do that. Um, to me, I I don't see a need for it. Um, sure. Okay. I use I use the train, I use the training dummy, um, yep. and I I work I work a lot of drills with the idea of dog understands what the retrieve is and that shape is what gets it for. Okay. Okay. Yep. So, so start, start using some of that, but then you got to get to this, this reality of consistency. And, you know, we, we talked about that at the very beginning of the show. What to you is consistency? Is it getting out every single day, three days a week? What, what, you know, just having a predictable routine for the dog I mean, what, what is but the best definition for consistency? It's, it's doing, it's, it's having a standard and, and not allowing, not being flexible on that. Like behavior wise, there are certain behaviors that are desirable and there are some that are undesirable. We don't let the desirable have happen when it does, we correct it. We encourage the right behavior. We try to set them up for success and then reward with praise when it happens. But that goes, life is inconsistent in my house. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Just, yeah. There's going on. There's volleyball going on. There's a three-year-old <laughs> drawing and playing with Saturn next to me right now who just got done eating a movie and eating life cereal. So it's 830 at night and she's eating cereal and it's <laughs> her bed. So the, the consistent, so am I super consistent routine wise? No, sure. because we're human and our, our lives are very normal that way. Are we super consistent with our expectations of our dog? It, yes. So like when things get a little nuts around here and the dog, this young dog can't handle it, I'm going to pick the puppy up and go put it in the crate. Yeah. And I'm because I'm because I'm I'm talking about setting dogs up for success and she won't have success much longer under these conditions. So I'm going to pick her up and put her in her kennel. And then she's got to be okay with that. And then in certain times she's got to be okay with what she's doing right now, which is on her place. And she's being teased by my 3-year-old daughter and that is driving me nuts. <laughs> but it's 8:30 at night and she just ate a bowl of cereal and now she's all fired up. So right. I got to look at, so like we have to be consistent when it comes to certain things, and that is behavioral expectations. We can't yeah. we can't have two sets of rules for the dog. It's mm. not fair. Yeah. So you know, our it's the same with these kids. You know, eight thirty. Unfortunately, we're we're in a, we're in a bad routine here. Eight thirty, <laughs> my kid gets fired up. It's supposed to be your bedtime. Right. But we aren't as consistent as we should be. And so we pay the price for it, but right. you know what? We'll get, there. and it's, you know, we have, we, 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 we make our lives a little harder when it comes to that. When I say we, I mean my wife and I, <laughs> but I don't, I don't do that with the dogs nearly as much because sure. it's not fair on the dog. And so you have to be consistent in order to form habits and you have to figure out how to be as consistent as you can with jumping schedules. Some people have very routine schedules. Their dogs, it's a lot easier on them. Yeah. So, but I, I end up with pretty good results. And that's because I've gotten pretty good at being creative. Dog training has made me a better dad. It's made me a better employer. It's made me a better employee for other people that, that I work with. It's made me a better friend. It's made me a better husband. It's been all these things that's helped me improve. And the reason is, is because it's, it's forced me to become more patient. Yeah. It's forced me to be, look at things at a little bit different perspective and realize, you know, the construction life, I was a totally different person. Back then it was push through, man. Yeah. Push through. Just go, 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 go. We had to because that's our livelihood. Efficiencies, productivity. Right. And, and physically. Like you just sucked it up and did it. Yeah. It didn't matter if it was heavy, pick it up. Now I look at it and I go, that's just really heavy. Is there a better way to do it? Should I go about it a little bit differently instead of being, but you know what? I'm older, man. Yeah. I used to have a young back that was pretty good. And then I hurt my back a few times. And now I look at it and go, I don't think I'm going to pick that up. Yeah. I'm going to figure yeah. out a different way. Yeah. So that's how well, it goes. Well, that's a good way. To, that's a good way to wrap this one up right there. You got to be, got to be willing to, adjust and and make the changes and read the read the situation that that's there and the situation may not be the same from day to day either you know it's uh I'm, people have good days and bad days and i'm sure uh same can be said for our dogs and you know Absolutely. whatever the environment is too at that time that the environment is never controlled and so uh yep helping helping to uh stay calm through that helps your dog stay calm helps them learn as well but well jeremy 
as we uh, close this one out, how can people follow along and track you down and maybe even order some of the shed hunting products that you guys have to yeah, offer best, or just dog training material? Sure. Best way is pro- is like all of our handles are dog bone hunter. So it's at dog bone hunter for all of our social stuff. Uh, dog bone hunters, our YouTube dogbonehunter.com is our website. So um, do- if you Google dog bone hunter, that's where you're going to find um, links or connections to just about all the stuff we're doing. We've got a podcast, we've got the training library on the website. Like the, the I, I get a lot of DMS, I get a lot of text messages. Like my pat, my phone number is on the back of our package. So my phone is <laughs> a lot. So, you know, I, I literally, I talk with people about dogs often. Um, I do my best to get back as quickly as possible. I spent, uh, forget what I was doing the other night. I had something where I, oh, well, I had, we had the puppies. And so the puppies were born. I couldn't fall asleep. Mom, it was a C-section, so mom wasn't really that warm to them yet. So I mm-hmm. literally slept in the box with the dogs. And I was up, and I couldn't really fall asleep because I wanted to make sure everything was right. So I literally stayed up all night on Friday night and Saturday night. And I was like, man, I had 20 I had 27 DMs on Instagram that I hadn't opened up, and then I had like 50 that I had opened and read but wasn't able to get message back, and I got all caught up in my Instagram messages. So I, 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 tr- I do my best. It takes me a little while sometimes, but I do my best to get back to people with questions. I do my best to ch- we share a lot of those questions on our podcast. Um, you know, this is going to be a great little nugget for people. Like we, you know, I really appreciate you having me on to do this. Different, oh, absolutely. Look, we had different- different conversations than what normally come up, which I think are really valuable and um, hopefully are helpful for folks. But yeah, that's the easiest way to get a hold of us is dog one hunter. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, if you're tuning in, it's worth it to pursue these things with your, with your dog. Jeremy made a good point of that. What do you got to lose? And I think shed, shed hunting with our, with our favorite, or I should say with our best friends is uh, certainly a avenue worth going down. And uh, we thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to check out The Hunt Fish Life. That's Brandon, who uh, normally is on the the show as a co-host. Couldn't be here tonight. Check them out. They're in Delaware. Their deer season has finally ended. The deer season that never ends there in Delaware uh, has officially come to an end. No Professor X on the ground. So there would be more details there. You can actually see some of the trail camera pictures of him. If you go over to their their social media pages and – Make sure you head over to firstgenhunter.com and be sure to check that out. And uh, also, if you have not yet picked up a Spartan Forge subscription, that's our title sponsor here on the First Gen Hunter podcast, an excellent mapping and uh, deer behavior uh, is the deer behavior side of it is really the, the main thing during deer hunting season, but it is an excellent shed season tool as well. Just having that e-scouting ability and looking at the topographical maps and everything else. So uh, make sure you get that on your phone and keep it with you while you're hopefully following your dog through good shed hunting country. Well, thanks again, Jeremy, for, for joining. And uh, we'll have to have you back on sometime. This was a lot of fun. Learned a ton from it. And uh, to everyone listening, get out there, get looking for some sheds. And take care of yourself and take someone hunting.
Attention landowners, the Conservation Reserve Program, CRP, is now open. CRP is a great opportunity for those hard-to-farm acres. It also helps improve a farm's profitability, delivers high-quality wildlife habitat, cleaner water, and healthier soils. The CRP sign-up is going on right now through March 11th. Find a local Quail Forever biologist at quailforever.org slash CRP or visit your local USDA service center. Farm the best, CRP the rest.